why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? That question comes up a lot, whether it's so that we can say we are hanging on to the true meaning of Christmas or because somebody says, oh, hey, you go to church. Why do you celebrate Christmas? There's lots of different celebrations happening right now. People celebrating all kinds of things. They're they're celebrating love. They're celebrating hope. They're celebrating joy. They're celebrating peace. They're celebrating gifts. They're celebrating family. And all kinds of happy, feel-good. We just really like this time of year because we feel nostalgic. But if somebody were to come to you and they were to ask you, okay, hey, you go to church or you've been to church, why do you celebrate Christmas? I want you to have a really good answer for that. And so this morning we're going to look together at Luke chapter 1 so that we can see if we can put together why do we celebrate Christmas. Because if somebody asks you why do you celebrate Easter, you might say, oh, I celebrate Easter because that's the the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we celebrate that. But this is Jesus' birth. Christmas is is the celebration of Jesus' birth. Why is it important that he was born? Is it really just because he couldn't have died and risen again from the dead if he wasn't born? Well, let's let's look. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now we we have this context, like any good story, they have to set up the context and they have to show you who the main players are here, right? And so we, we like a movie where you are seeing the scene of the house, right? The house is just sitting there in the neighborhood, but you sort of get this idea of, okay, what kind of a neighborhood is it in? What kind of a house is it in? And then it zooms in, and then you see in that house there's a person, and you get to know a little bit about them. Okay, here's who this person is. And apparently, we're starting with this person, and so this person we're supposed to care about. This might, must be some kind of protagonist or something. And so they introduce you. Well, here Luke is, is introducing us uh, that Gabriel is on his way to talk to somebody. He was sent from God. So, so Gabriel, this angel, this heavenly messenger, is being sent to go talk to somebody. And the place that he goes is to Galilee, which is in the northern area of Israel. And then he goes from into Galilee to a place called Nazareth. And in Nazareth, he goes to uh, this girl, this virgin, who's betrothed to a man named Joseph, who's of the house of David. Okay, so who's David? David was the great king of Israel. That the great king, the one that, that God said, this is a man after my own heart. This, he was the one that, that really brought peace. He, he conquered the land and he was the, the first one to really reign as king over all of Israel. He was that great king. He was also the, the one to whom God made promises, which we'll get to in just a minute. But, but this person, jo- Joseph, is the one that this woman is betrothed to. 
And he's from that group. He lives in Nazareth. He's from the, the line of David. And the virgin's name is Mary. And so he comes to Mary and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary is a little bit surprised. Taken aback. Because suddenly, the angel Gabriel is in her house and is speaking to her. Now, it's been a little while, if you were paying really close attention to the Advent reading, you heard that it had been a little while since there had been any speaking of God to His people. Right? They had the, the, what we now call the Old Testament Scriptures. They had those. And prophets had come from time to time. And angels had come with messages from time to time. But it's been like a couple hundred years since that's happened. And suddenly, boom, angel in your house talking to you saying, Greetings! And here's Mary's response. She was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this must be. I, I like that. That Mary is, is just surprised and going, what? What does this mean? Why are you here? What's going on here? Why is this happening? And so he comes and he says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, I'm going to read this again because this is... This is an incredible message to Mary. He says, Don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is just laden with references back to the Old Testament. All of the expectations and hopes and promises that God had made to His people are, are just dripping through the words of this phrase that the angel gives to Mary. He's saying, listen, you know how you have been waiting? You've been waiting for, for God to uh, fulfill the promises? They're coming through you. They're coming through you. All of those expectations, because here we had had promises since the very, very beginning. Right? God, God created Adam and Eve in the garden. Yep, we're going all the way back there. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and because of sin, because they disobeyed Him, there was separation, and He said, you can't stay here as My people with Me. You're, you're going to have to go, but there will be a time when someone will come who will crush the head of the serpent and will redeem my people so they can be my people again. He's going to deal with the sin. And there was this waiting and expectation that somehow these promises were going to be fulfilled. 
And then there was Abraham and, and, and God came and he talked to Abraham and he's, he made a covenant, a promise with Abraham. And he said, look, here's the deal, Abraham. I am going to, through you, make you and your family a blessing and you are going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing to all nations. He made that promise to, to Abraham three times. In chapter 12, in chapter 15, and in chapter 17 of Genesis. He makes this promise over and over again saying, Abraham, you are going to be a blessing through your offspring to all nations. And Abraham is knowing this, this expectation from back in Genesis and is, is putting these things together and going, oh, We've been waiting for this person to come. We've been waiting for this serpent crusher, the one who would, would come and redeem his people. We've been waiting for that. And apparently it's going to be through one of my descendants. That's really amazing. And so he has Jacob and Jacob has Isaac and Isaac... Nope. Abraham has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob. I saw, Thank you, some of you who are going, you got that wrong. <laughs> I was testing you. And Jacob has 12 sons, and they become the, the tribes and nation of Israel. And there keeps being this hope, this waiting, this expectation that at some point these promises are going to be fulfilled. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. Until finally Moses comes. And Moses is a great prophet. God spoke to Moses like a man talks with his friend face to face. Moses came and he was the mouthpiece of God and we were looking at this person who was coming to bring the people out of Egypt and into the land that God had promised them. And we were going, oh, this must be the guy. This must be the guy. He's the one that's going to make everything right. He's the one that's going to bring the, the law and bring the covenant to the people. This must be the guy that's going to provide us a way that we can uh, be reconciled to God and we can live as His people. And, and Moses does bring God's words and His instructions and says, this is how we are to live. But what we discover is that through Moses, we don't have the hope. Moses wasn't the guy. Moses wasn't the guy that, that was going to uh, do this and, and somehow reconcile us. He gave us this way that we might aspire to be God's people, but all we discovered in this law, in these instructions that Moses gives us, is that we fall short over and over and over and over again. There have to be sacrifices. There has to be atonement for all of the mistakes and all of the sin and all of the failures that we have to be faithful as God's people. And we just recognize that over and over again, we cannot measure up to the standards. And though we love God, though we want to be His people, we fail to be devoted and faithful to Him and we turn away. And that's the story that you see in the nation of Israel over and over again is that for a little while they'll repent and they'll turn back to God and then they will get distracted and um, turn away from Him again. And then they'll, they'll repent and things won't be going so good and they'll cry out to God for help and God will help them and they'll come back again and then they get distracted and turn over somewhere else and ignore Him again. And then things aren't going so well and so they turn back and they wait and this, this cycle just keeps going over and over again. 
All the while remembering these covenants, these promises that God has been making, and we're wondering, how, how will this be fulfilled? Until finally, uh, God brings in this king, David. This, this man that I've already said, this, this man is a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. And he conquered and he won. And, and, and we see that there is peace under David. Finally, after a lot of military conquest, then finally there is peace. And we, we go, maybe this is the guy. But as you look at David, you just go, you know, there's a lot about him that he could be the guy. And there's a lot about him that you go, this cannot be the guy. It's like the two sides of David. The really shiny, sparkly side and then that really gross and ugly side. And so you either really like him or really don't like him, depending on which part of him you're looking at at that moment. And you recognize that this is not the guy, but, but God makes a promise to David. And so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord um, speaks to David through the prophet Nathan and, and says, it says, The Lord declares to you, the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall be, build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so even though we recognize in this that David is not himself the guy, it's going to be one of David's offspring. One of David's descendants will be the one. Just as we knew that one of Abraham's kids, now we know it's also going to be one of David's kids, because David was one of Abraham's kids. And we have this expectation that as David has established this kingdom, as devoted himself to God, that there will be this descendant of David who's going to rule on the throne forever. And there's going to be peace and they will be God's people. And there will be this, this loving reconciliation between God and His people and it will be wonderful. And there's this expectation then, as David wasn't allowed to build the house of God, he said, God, I really want to build you a house, a place of worship for you. And God said, no, you can't do that, David, because you're a man of war. And so you, you can't build me a house, but I'll tell you what, I will build you a house. I'm going to establish through your descendants this eternal kingdom. And so we, we expect then that Solomon is going to come and he's going to fulfill this promise because Solomon is the son of David and he comes in and there's great peace under him. And again, you see some stuff about Solomon that you're like, wow, this could really be the guy. And you see some other stuff about Solomon that you're like, wow, this can really not be the guy. Really not. 
And so we continue to wait and wait and wait. And so the prophets, as you're reading through the Old Testament scriptures and you get through all of this great history and narrative about the establishing of the kingdom and all of the things and, and how the, the cycle of the judges and then the cycle of the kings and we've got all of this great stuff, but the prophets are, are, are now coming as you get toward the end of the Old Testament. The prophets are now coming and they're going, guys, do you see what's going on here? Sometimes you're faithful and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you're faithful and sometimes you're not. And what I'm telling you is you must repent and turn back to God. And mixed in with these prophecies of, of um, exhortation to repentance, that is that they are calling God's people to repent of their sin and turn back to Him. And in the midst of that, there are all of these little promises that come up over and over again. All of these promises that, that come up so that in uh, Isaiah chapter 10, I, you can just jot some of these down. I'm going to read them to you. They're going to come kind of fast and there's going to be a few of them. So I'm not going to put them all up on the screen. But Isaiah chapter 10, here's a promise. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but instead they will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. They will lean on Him in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. So here you have both this promise and this, this judgment that's going to come. Look, there's all this sin that's happening, and so there's going to be overwhelming judgment. And though there, there's lots and lots of you, there's only going to be a small remnant that's going to remain. There's only going to be a small remnant. But... You will lean on, uh, depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And He will reign. Then Isaiah chapter 29, verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name and they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will go and stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. Here again, God, He's saying, I am going to be God. I'm going to be the only God. I am the Holy One of Israel, and I will reign here. Then in Ezekiel chapter 37, Thus says the Lord of God, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be their king over them all and they shall be no longer two nations and they shall no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all of their backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I, give, that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. 
They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place will be with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This great expectation of what God will do How God is going to bring somebody in. He's going to raise up a king. And this king is going to reign over the nations forevermore. Now, David's been long gone at this point, but but there's still this expectation that it's going to be one of David's kids. David somehow is still going to be that one. Someone very like David. One of his descendants is going to reign. And we just have to wonder, how is this going to be? How can this be that we will find somebody like this? Because every time we think we found somebody that sort of looks like the kind of guy that we're looking for, he loves God, he's close to God, he's bringing people back to God, he's reigning in peace and justice, and every time we look at and we say, I think that might be the guy, then we see he's got this ugly side. And so how will God fulfill His promises? He keeps promising from generation to generation that this is going to happen. How is He going to fulfill these promises when every time a guy that might possibly do it comes up, he's not right for the job? Because he's a man. And every time he comes up and he does the right thing, then there's this sin side too and you go, ah, that can't be the guy. But promise after promise after promise. So that in Micah, he says this. In chapter 4, And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And in chapter 5 of Micah, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one for me who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he he shall be their peace. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And so this is where Mary finds herself. That there's been all of these promises, all of these warnings from the prophets, and along mixed in with them these promises that God's still going to do what he said he would do. Back when he was talking to Abraham, back when he was talking to um, Adam, back when he was talking to David, God is still going to do that. We have this expectation that he's going to do it, but now there's been this period of silence. It's almost as if the promises themselves have stopped coming. And so there are still those who are believing and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, but they're getting a little bit 
worried, a little bit anxious. How is he going to do this? When will this come? Until we find ourselves here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now you hear all of those prophecies being referenced in the words of the angel to Mary. And Mary's response is, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? It's not, God, that I'm not willing. I just don't understand how this could be. Because I know how these things work. I'm not prepared to have any kind of a child let alone one that's going to fulfill all of these prophecies. And while Mary is asking that question, the question in my mind and, and in, the, in the minds of others who are reading through this, are, they're going, how will this be? How is God going to fulfill all of these promises? How is He going to do that? Because we have these blends of promises about how God is going to reign. God is going to be the salvation. God is going to be the one who is is king over Israel. And at the same time, all these promises about how David is going to reign and David's descendants are going to reign. And so how is he going to do all of this? How is it all going to come to be all at the same time, all being fulfilled through this one offspring of Mary? So Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. How could it possibly be that we could pin all of our hopes on a man That their expectation was that at some point a descendant would come, a descendant of Adam, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Isaac and of Jacob, a descendant of David. At some point, one is going to come who is going to fulfill all of these prophecies and is somehow going to reign on the the throne forever. How can this be? This is how. The Holy Spirit will come upon you And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And I have to say, for all of the prophecies 
that had been explaining what was going to happen, nobody saw this coming. They were still expecting that at some point there would be some kind of a leader that would come. Yes, they would be devoted to God, but and it would be somebody like Moses who talked with God face to face, and it would be somebody like David who was a man after God's own heart, but they were expecting there was going to be some kind of man, some kind of perfect man who would at some point rise up and do this. And what God is saying is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. When I said that I would fulfill my promises, I wasn't going to wait for someone else to somehow fulfill my promises for me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a descendant of Adam. I'm going to become a descendant of Abraham. I'm going to become a descendant of David. I am going to come. I am going to come and redeem my people. I am going to reign as king. I will be in their midst as their king and as their God. I am going to do it. I'm going to do it. And as I've been thinking about this this week, this this impact that, that some how fulfills all of the prophecies that God has made to all of these people that your descendant will do this. Combined with God's promises that He is going to do it. Because God was going to come in flesh. He was going to be both man and God and fulfill all of the promises all at once. You see, we we don't just we don't just celebrate Christmas because Jesus had to have been born at some point so that he could die and rise again. We celebrate Christmas because this is the commemoration of God's incarnation. There was never any doubt from God's perspective, that He was going to fulfill His covenants, that He was going to fulfill His promises. There was never any doubt. God knew it would happen because He was going to do it. He wasn't going to leave it to chance. He wasn't going to leave it to somebody else. He was going to be the one who was going to do it. And as I've been thinking about that this week, That He has come as fully God and fully man in one person. That's amazing. It's hard for me to get my brain around that. It's certainly hard for Mary to get her brain around that. Wait, what's going to happen? I can, I can just imagine her going, hang on, time out. Can we go through the plan again? I'm a virgin, but I'm going to have a kid? 
And that kid is going to be my son and your son? Yep. That is the plan. So that God could completely identify with us. Taking the the form of human flesh, He came. He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses and yet live perfectly. Because He's God. He could do this to fulfill all of His promises and all of His covenants and to reconcile His people to Himself. And I think that the problem that we have with this is we go, is that possible? Could that really be? I, I, I know a lot of people that have issue, take issue with the incarnation of God. And they go, no, I don't think that can be. We can't have a God-man that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean a virgin gave birth? That doesn't make any sense. Mary said to the angel, how will this be because I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Yep, it wouldn't be possible. Virgins don't have babies. People who were barren don't have babies. It doesn't happen. But nothing is impossible with God. If this is the way that God wants to do it, then this is the way that God will do it. And all of the the place where I find myself intellectually saying, I have an issue with this. God says, I can do that. But God, that I'm having trouble understanding how that works, that you were human and God at the same time, that you had always existed from before time, that you created the world and everything in it. As John puts it, uh, the world was made through Him, and then the Word became flesh. God, that's hard for me to get my brain around, and God says, that doesn't matter. You don't have to understand it. I did it. Because nothing is impossible with me. Okay, God. That's your prerogative. You're God. But the more time I spend meditating on that, the richer it becomes. 
Because I find that my biggest hesitation with the whole thing is this intellectual side of me that goes, wait, that's not possible. And as soon as I get past that by saying, wait a second, if God is God, then nothing is impossible for him. He created the whole world. If he wants to enter in as one of its uh, creation, he can do that. Then once I get past that, then I just start marveling at how wonderful and marvelous it is. Because the God of all creation made these promises along the way saying, I'm going to reconcile my people and this is how He chose to do it. He chose to do it by taking on our weaknesses, by taking on our flesh. By leaving for us an example of how we ought to live and by reconciling us with Himself by dying for our sins on the cross. And He said, I'm going to do it and I'm going to reign as King now forevermore. And so we say, that's how? That's how a descendant of David can reign on the throne forevermore because the descendant of David is God? that's how that's how the nations will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham because the offspring of Abraham is God that's how that's how he shall be called Jesus He shall be called Son of the Most High. He will reign on the throne of David and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and His kingdom will have no end. That's how He will be called child. That's how uh, He will be called holy and the Son of God. Because God said, this is how I will do it. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why do we celebrate Christmas? It's so that we can remember That God became man. So that he could certainly, without doubt, fulfill all of the promises that he had made and reconcile us to himself. Our God has lived among us. Let's rejoice in that together. Father, we come to you And marvel that you would love us so much that even when we strayed because of our sin, yet you desired to bring us back as your people. Father, humankind has been fickle. At times rejoicing in you and praising you and loving you and at times turning away and pursuing other things instead. Rejecting you completely. 
And yet you have provided a way. Provided a way that you might fulfill all of your promises in a way that is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on our character. It's not dependent on our actions. It's not dependent on our faithfulness. But you have made a way that you can display your love and grace toward us by fulfilling your promises yourself. And making a way for us to be your people. Through our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Both God and man. And Lord, we rejoice in that this morning. And praise you for your great works. In his name, amen.